Oh, there's something about the elf that just makes you, uh, makes you smile. You kind of wish you had that much enthusiasm left, perhaps. Uh, if, if you're that young, maybe you still have that much enthusiasm. Uh, there's, there's just something about the, uh, the magic in the air this time of year, whether uh, it's at the mall, whether it's uh, driving around and looking at the Christmas lights, that we, uh, you know, we just hope and long for, for something better. Uh, all of the Advent season, we've been looking on Sunday mornings. If, if you've been here, uh, uh, this may ring a little bit of a bell to you. And if, and if you haven't been, we've been uh, kind of running with the theme, All I Want for Christmas Is, and we're kind of filling in the blank each and every Sunday because there's a variety of things that, that you kind of think are on your list to, to make it a perfect Christmas, you know, to make it just the, the right holiday season. And so we started way back the last Sunday in November with All We Want for Christmas is Presents Under the Tree, and Tom Warner did a, did a wonderful job in, in talking about that. And then uh, the next week it was All I Want for Christmas is Laughter, Joy, and Good Cheer. All I Want for Christmas is a white Christmas. If you are here a couple Sundays ago, we actually created White Christmas, which is about as close as we're going to get, it looks like, uh, this year at our little chemical project where we created some some uh, fake snow. And then last Sunday we said, all, all I want for Christmas is a big family gathering. And as we, as we looked at each of those on, on uh, each of those Sundays, uh, we realized that there's a deeper meaning behind uh, each of those wishes. We believe that, that we, we saw that there is a, uh, they reveal a deeper longing in our hearts for something profound, something to be true, something to be an anchor for our souls uh, might be a way to say it. Uh, these traditions, I think, point to a deeper longing for genuine peace, genuine joy, love, and hope, because God has created us with that longing. He's placed it in our hearts. The problem is we tend to, to run and look in the wrong places for the fulfillment of that joy, of that love, of, of that hope. And it's only when we turn to, uh, to God through relationship with Christ that we really see it for what it should be. So uh, this evening, why do we conclude with, you know, all I want for Christmas is to see Santa uh, and use the, the clip from the movie just to have a little fun. You know, uh, the elf is so excited. Uh, Santa's coming. He screams at the top of his lungs. And, and then he, he looks around at those folks and says, I know him. I, I know him. What is it about that scene that just kind of makes you, you know, you kind of just wish it were, were true? You wish that's kind of what life was like every day. And, and, and I don't know about you. Again, a lot of you are younger than me, but, but uh, for some of us, we have to think back a little bit. We have to remember back to when we were children, which wasn't last week or last year. Uh, but perhaps as, as, you, as you think back for just a few moments with me, you know, you remember perhaps the, the magic of hearing the sleigh bells ringing outside your windows uh, or maybe up on your roof. You know, you worked so hard to stay awake for just another five minutes, kind of like a lot of you are doing right now, just so that you could perhaps catch a glimpse of Kris Kringle. You know, if I could just stay awake for a couple more minutes, I'll see Santa. You know, it's just pure, unadulterated anticipation, just longing uh, for, that, for that magic in your life. But we lose some of that as we get older, don't we? We become a bit jaded, perhaps somewhat skeptical. Maybe we know more now. Maybe we know that a few hours on Christmas, sure, we can pretend that the world is really uh, a good place and everything's okay and life isn't filled with struggles, but we know down deep in our hearts that the reality is that problems are more real than children's stories. But what if you really did get a glimpse of the true Christmas joy? What happens when you find out that there really is more? 
that it's not just about the tinsel, it's not just about the glitter, it's not just about the gift giving, but there's actually something fundamental that can change in your life. What happens when you actually experience that through a relationship with God and Jesus Christ? How does that impact your life? I want to just look at two verses this evening with you uh, very briefly out of Matthew chapter 2. They're actually part of the verses that, that Tom Werner uh, discussed early on in this sermon series. But I think there's something about the visit of the Magi, the wise men, uh, perhaps you've heard them called, that speaks to what happens when we come face to face with God stepping into human history with a redemptive purpose in mind, with the purpose of salvation and grace and mercy. So I'm not going to ask you to turn in a Bible because you wouldn't be able to see it where you're sitting, even if you had it. Uh, let me just read for you Matthew chapter 2, the first two verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we praise you and worship you with our, with our mouths, with our hearts, with our emotions, Father, we also want to praise you and worship you with our minds. Uh, Lord, typically at this time of night, we're not thinking very deep thoughts. <laughs> we're maybe catching the last of the, of the tonight show or drifting off to sleep. So, Father, we, uh, we pray this evening that you would capture our hearts, that you would speak your truth into our, into our souls that even this late in the evening, something that you want to say to us would be heard. Father, every person in this room, regardless of the day of the week or the time of the day, needs to be in relationship with you. Father, we need to know the truth of, of what it means to genuinely walk with you. So, Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way. What I have to say is not important. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let it stand in the way of what you want to teach and explain to us this evening. Lord Jesus, come and, and speak your truth into our lives, I pray. In your name, amen. I just want to look at one phrase with, with you guys for a few minutes this evening. And it's the statement that the, uh, that the Magi make when they arrive at Jerusalem, when they arrive at King Herod's palace, and they begin to be asking questions about this one they're looking for who's been born king of the Jews. Because they say in, the, in this last phrase, we saw a star that when it rose and have come to worship him. I think we can actually get that last phrase underlined in just a second. We have come to worship. I want to talk about that for just a couple of minutes this evening because after all, this is a worship service. That's what we call it. Uh, we say we're coming together to worship. And what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? I mean, is this just kind of a, a ritual that you're supposed to do this time of year? You know, your, your, uh, you know, your mom or your dad or your, or your husband or your wife or your friends, you know, they want you to go to church with them. And so you, you just kind of do that out of a sense of, duty or obligation, or is there really something that happens in the activity of worship that points to this relationship that we can have uh, with, uh, with God through Christ? So I want to talk about worship for just a couple minutes. When they say we, we've come to worship, and the word worship, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, so whether you look at that really ancient Hebrew language or the, or the Greek language, it means literally to bow down. The, the word worship is literally a physical word. That, that means literally that you, that you prostrate yourself before someone else, that you literally bow to the ground. Um, this was, this act of, of, of bowing was actually in the news 
recently. The president got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, Mr. Obama was in the Far East, and uh, on two different occasions, he, he bowed to uh, dignitaries of those countries, and the media was, was up in arms about it because, after all, we're Americans. And there's a lot of things you can say about us, but certainly you can say about us that, that we're pretty proud folk. <laughs> That, uh, in fact, you can maybe say pride stretched too far, maybe turns into arrogance. But there's, there's something about us that says, you know, we don't bow to anybody. Uh, we will be respectful. Uh, we'll shake your hand, but we don't bow to anyone. We, we're not subservient to anyone. And that's been something that's been, been drilled into to every child in this country for years, you know, this rugged individualism. And so you take that into a, into a faith setting, and it's a struggle to worship. It's not necessarily the, the natural thing you do. It isn't necessarily the first response you have. As I think about Jesus, do I think about him first and foremost as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one to whom I owe my allegiance, the one who has offered salvation to me for all of eternity? And because of that, he's not just my Savior, but he's my Lord. And so my natural reaction is to bow in worship not out of duty, not out of tradition, not out of compulsion because someone expects it of me, but joyfully submitting my life to his in love. That's what these fellows are saying. We have come to worship him. We've come to bow before him because this one isn't, uh, he isn't just a normal king. This is someone very, very special. So I'm attending a worship service tonight and, and you're attending a worship service tonight. But are we worshiping? Are we emotionally, intellectually, spiritually bowing before Jesus? That's the call of the wise men to come and to bow before him. But there's a second aspect, and I have three observations about worship, just to to let you know how how long we're going to be here. I have three observations about worship. The first one is not just the bowing down, but it's also there's a sense of awe. There's a sense of wonder that that comes from worship. I call it uh, the wow factor. Uh, it, it, it amazes you. It, it catches your attention. Perhaps, in a sense, it takes your breath away. I mean, did, did you notice the elf's reaction when he heard that Santa was coming? How excited he got. He didn't, he didn't just say, oh, I know who he is. He, he jumped for joy. He couldn't wait. He was beside himself with anticipation. Uh, we sing praise at Green Tree. Uh, we, we do that on a regular basis every Sunday. But are we enraptured? by his grace and by his glory and by his beauty. You know, I said earlier that, that worship literally means uh, to physically bow. Uh, and at Green Tree, we are, we're somewhat animated in worship. I, I certainly wouldn't say we're uh, over-the-top animated in worship because that wouldn't be the case. But, but if you're a Green Tree on a Sunday morning where the lights were actually on and you could see one another, uh, you would see some folks throughout the congregation who have one hand raised or maybe two hand raised or, or maybe they're clapping. I'm kind of the halfway up one hand raised guy. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of my comfort zone. My left hand wants to come up, but I kind of, I kind of don't let it. So, um, but there's something about just, you know, losing your inhibitions and being excited saying, you know what? God's real. This one who is born King of the Jews is born as the savior of the world. And it, and it almost takes my breath away. I don't know. I want to read a, a kind of a silly story for you, uh, that will illustrate this point in, in, in kind of a goofy way. Uh, This is the story. It's not very long. A Michigan woman and her family were vacationing in a small New England town where Paul Newman and his family often visited. One Sunday morning, the woman got up early to take a long walk. 
After a brisk five-mile five hike, she decided to treat herself to a double-dip chocolate ice cream cone. Now, there seems to be a disconnect there, but we won't, we won't talk about that part of the story. She hopped in the car, drove down to the center of the village, and went straight to the uh, combination bakery, ice cream, coffee, parlor shop. There was only one other patron in the store. Paul Newman was sitting at the counter having a coffee and donut. The woman's heart skipped a beat. Her eyes made contact with those famous baby blue eyes. The actor nodded graciously, and the star-struck woman smiled. Pull yourself together, she chided herself. You're a happily married woman with three children. You're 45 years old, not a teenager. The clerk filled her order. She took the double-dipped chocolate ice cream cone in the one hand, changing the other, and she went out the door, avoiding even a glance in Paul Newman's direction. When she reached her car, she realized that she had a handful of change, but her other hand was empty. Where's my ice cream cone? Oh, did I leave it in the store? Back into the shop she went, expecting to see the cone still in the clerk's hand or in a holder or counter or something. No ice cream cone was in sight. With that, she happened to look over at Paul Newman. His face broke into his familiar, warm, friendly grin, and he said to the woman, you put it in your purse. When's the last time you were so enraptured with the beauty of Jesus that you put your ice cream in your purse, so to speak? When's the last time the wow factor of your salvation captured your heart, your soul, your imagination? These guys traveled hundreds of miles for probably more than a month, perhaps as much as six months to a year to come to worship this one. I would say there's a wow factor involved in a decision like that. And too often, I believe, it's become commonplace for you and for me. We go to church. We go through the motions. Yes, we love Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we're not disciples of, of his, but there's just something that's been lost in our emotion. And I believe at Christmas this evening, the Magi are inviting us to reconnect emotionally with the Savior. When, uh, when Nathan was real little, probably about three or four years old, Katie couldn't have been more than about one, um, I, I got a business idea where uh, I, I pretended to be Santa Claus, dressed up as Santa Claus, and I would come to your home and visit your kids pretending to be Santa Claus, and we'd have the whole deal worked out ahead of time, and I'd know what your kids wanted for Christmas. I'd know what they, what they did throughout the year, and instead of having to go to the mall and wait in line, you know, you could have Santa come to your family Christmas gathering. It was so much fun because, you know, you put little Johnny on your lap, and you say, Johnny, how you doing? What do you want for Christmas? And he tell you and then you know i'd say you've been a good boy oh sure i've been a good boy and i you know you say something along the lines of you know what about last may when you pushed your sister down and she skinned her knee you know johnny's going into a panic now because you know he's like us he's he's ridden with guilt and he's pretty sure the deal's off and there's not going to be anything under the tree but but then i'd go home uh to my own kids and i'd walk in and my santa uh, make-believe outfit, and uh, occasionally I'd be walk in, there'd be a neighbor there, and the neighbor would look up and see me and see the kids and try to put it all together and say, oh, look, kids, there's Santa, to which Nate would respond, no, that's just Dad. <laughs> that's just Dad. I think sometimes I go, that's just Jesus. And I forget about the amazing love with which he has loved me. The fact that really in the depths of my heart, I would go to the ends of the world to connect with that kind of unmitigated passion and grace and mercy. Is that kind of worship yours tonight? Is that mine tonight? One other observation about 
these uh, two short verses, is that worship, when it really happens, ends up in a life that reflects the life of Jesus. Now, you got to think forward with me for just a minute, and maybe this is new information for you, and that's okay. It'll be pretty simple to get. But somebody asked Jesus a question one day. What's the, what's the most important commandment? Oh, those 10 commandments about all the stuff you should, you should do or not do. And Jesus said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For Jesus, his primary motivation in life was the glory of God. There was nothing else that was above that. That's how he lived his life. He was always saying, I do what the Father has sent me to do. My will, the Father's will, they're one and the same. We're connected emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way you can be connected. I live to do the will of the Father. That's my primary motivator. And the Magi, I believe, are in that same mindset. This is something special that God is doing. Let's go be part of it. Because wherever God is and wherever he's doing something, we want to be there. How did that work its way out in Jesus' life? What was, what was the primary application of this love for God and this, this desire for his glory? Well, it's the second half of the question that Jesus answered when he was asked later on in life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is exactly the same. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, friends, worship doesn't just happen in this room on Sunday mornings and on Christmas Eve and uh, Easter Sunday, you know, those special times of the year. It doesn't just happen when we're together. Worship is life. And you look at the way Jesus lived. You look at the things he did. People were hungry to know God's truth. And so what did he do? He'd sit down for hours and he would teach them. People were broken and hurting physically and he would heal them. Some of them died and he raised them back to life. They were hungry and he gave them food. Jesus was motivated by compassion and grace and mercy that eventually led him to the cross because he knew our biggest problem was not our hunger. Our biggest problem was not our physical brokenness. He knew our biggest problem was not the need for more intellectual information. He knew our biggest problem was that we were eternally separated from a holy God and apart from God's grace, we were doomed forever. And that mercy that grace and that longing to glorify God led him to the cross. Now come back to Matthew for just a second. What do the Magi do when they arrive? They presented gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? We go into all those gifts we're not going to tonight, but they were worshiping God with their lives. They were giving of themselves. They were giving of their treasures. They just wanted to be part of the deal. And I think so often, and maybe because as I lose a little bit of the wow factor, but I confine worship to something I do with, with a lot of you guys on Sunday mornings, and I forget that worship really is my life. I spend my hours and my days in worship. I glorify God when I love you well. That's worship. I, I praise God when I serve others in the name of Jesus. That's worship. When I give my gifts, whatever they may be, my talents, my abilities... That's my worship. I think when that happens, Jesus moves in amazing ways when we worship him with life. Um, just recently, and just give me a couple more minutes, just recently uh, we did these, um, the, the Sunday school kids did the shoebox drive. I don't know if you remember this, maybe if you have little ones. Um, in the Sunday school, they, they got these shoeboxes together. and what, You got a list of all kinds of things you could put in the shoebox. You went home and you built the shoebox and put in, you know, it's like some toys and as well as some, uh, you know, toothbrushes and soaps and things like that and sent to, to kids all over the world. 
uh, third world countries. And literally there are thousands of these boxes. We were just very uh, part of a small part of a huge operation uh, of these shoe boxes that went all over the world. But we got some letters back of some folks who had experienced it on the other end and they jotted a couple notes as to what happened. I'm just going to give you two quick examples. The first one from the Dominican Republic it says the pastor of El, I want to say Saibo, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I took German, not Spanish. Pastor of El Saibo had completed the shoebox dis- distribution in her church and decided to take a leftover box to her nephew. On the way there, the pastor saw a very sad-looking boy in the street. He was poor and barefoot. The pastor moved uh, to give the box to the boy. Among the gifts inside the box, now remember the gifts are just kind of, here's a long list, you fill it however you want to. Inside this particular box was a pair of shoes that were a perfect fit for these boys' feet. One other story out of El Salvador. A little girl on her first day of school in El Salvador was told she was missing one of her supplies for art class. Uh, she was missing Play-Doh. She told her teacher her parents had been unable to buy it for her because they didn't have enough money. Her family struggled in buying the basic necessities for school, including paper, pencils, erasers, rulers that she needed. A few days later, the little girl was invited to attend a special kids program at the, and there are literally six names for this church, and I'm not going to try and pronounce them, but she's, she's invited to attend a program, kids program at church. When she got there, she was surprised when she received a shoebox full of gifts, okay? Again, arbitrarily put together, back in the United States. Nobody knows this girl. Nobody knows what she needs. Inside the box were several gifts, but something immediately caught her eye. It was a container of Play-Doh. She couldn't believe it. She ran to show her mother, who was so grateful and moved that she went to the house of the little girl's teacher and with tears in her eyes told her of the miracle that had just happened. That's worship. And I think when we worship, Jesus smiles. Thousands of shoeboxes, thousands of kids. And it just so happens that this boy has the right size pair of shoes and this little girl just happens to get Play-Doh. That's worship. Brings glory to God. Are we worshiping tonight? We're just going through the motions. Completed some kind of duty. As I said, maybe perhaps here is a, is a favor to a family member. But friends, it's so, so much more. It's not just a jolly old roof, uh, elf on your roof. It's a king of kings and the Lord of lords and all of his glory. But in the flesh, come to bring you real life, real hope, a true and lasting and eternal hope. As the elf said of the movie clip, I know him. If we know him, let's worship him. Will you pray with me?